My name is Blake Holmes. I get to be a part of the equipping team here at Watermark, um, and it's just a real privilege and pleasure for me to to be able to lead our time at uh, Summit this spring. We're going to look at the book of Genesis. And, uh, and I realize, gang, in a room this big with this many guys here, uh, there's two groups of people, right? There are those who have uh, maybe been to Watermark for a long time, uh, maybe have, are returning to Summit, right? And you're veterans, you know a lot of folks, you know the whole drill, and uh, you're excited and familiar um, with kind of what we're going to do. But then there are those who uh, are here for the first time. And um, I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey. I don't know if the whole idea of Bible study even feels overwhelming to you or intimidating. Um, If you would classify yourself as somebody who knows and follows Jesus, but yet it's been a while since you've been to a Bible study. Or if maybe you'd say, hey, I still have a lot of reservations and doubts. And uh, and I I would would just say that I'm not just real excited about being here. because uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm coming because a friend invited me. And so I just want to tell you that uh, regardless of why you're here or where you may find yourself on your spiritual journey, man, welcome. I'm just glad that you had the courage to, to wake up early and to come and to join us. And, and what I want to do is I want to assume and during our time together each week, I want to assume nothing. I, I want to uh, help you understand the Bible as if you've never opened it before. And, um, and I want you to know that you are always welcome to ask questions. You're always welcome to ask questions. We have environments, uh, we have great questions on Monday nights. We have other ministries, certainly on Thursdays in your small group, um, through email. Uh, we'd love to have coffee with you. Whatever we could do to help you understand uh, who the God of the Bible is. Because we believe that you're created to have a relationship with him. And, uh, and, and we want to help answer any questions that you may have. So our time together each week is going is to be broken up into two parts. We'll have a, a large group time just like this where we'll, we'll come, we'll gather in here. I'll spend about 20 minutes kind of giving you an, an overview of what we had just covered um, in, in our reading uh, during our time away. And then when, when we're done, what we'll do is, is we're going to break up and we're going to go into small groups. And so in during that small group time, um, you'll have a couple of facilitators in there who are just going to allow you to ask questions, share some of the insights, things that you've learned, and, um, and really sharpen each other. Because our goal is not to help you become a smarter sinner, right? Our goal is not just the transfer of information. Our goal is that your hearts would be captured. You'd fall more in love with the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham right? And that your life would be transformed because we believe that you were created in the image of God. You're created to have a relationship with him, to know him and to serve him. And when we do that and give our lives fully to him, that's where real joy uh, is found. All right. So we're excited you're here. This is promises to be a, uh, a great study and I am going to pray for us. And I'm also going to pray for the men who are gathering in Fort Worth right now. Uh, Todd is leading uh, the Few Good Men series in Fort Worth. And you guys have kind of been around Watermark for a little while. You know we're starting a, a Fort Worth campus. And there's a room of guys who are gathering for the first time, just like this. Um, but for the first time over there in Fort Worth right now. And so we're going to, we're gonna, that's right, that's worth clapping about. So I'm going to pray for our time. I'm going to pray for their time. And, uh, and then we're going to dive in, okay? Well, Father in heaven, um, 
Wow. I, I, I woke up early. I didn't even need an alarm this morning um, because I'm just excited. I'm excited to, and just humbled and privileged to stand up here in front of my friends, Lord, and um, who have purposed to rise early and who have a desire to want to know your word. Who are going to leave here, Lord, and go all over the Metroplex um, to be your light uh, and your representative. Help us, Lord, to be confident ambassadors, Father, for uh, your kingdom. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to extend grace to those in our workplace, that you would allow us to be a blessing to our families, to our friends, our co-workers. I pray, Lord, for my friends who are here for the first time, who maybe are skeptical of the Bible and who this God is that we're even praying to right now. I pray, Lord, that, um, that Lord, you'd soften their hearts and you would allow them to uh, just even to trust us over time, that uh, we would be trustworthy and... Um, and that, Lord, you would do a work in each of our hearts that we'd come to know you more. So uh, thank you for uh, the book of Genesis. And thank you for this time uh, that you have for us. I pray for my friends in Fort Worth right now. I pray for those who are gathering for the first time, that are making introductions, meeting each other, and, uh, and learning what it means to be a, a godly man. And I ask, Lord, that you capture their hearts. I pray, Lord, that um, you would do a work through that body of believers over there as I, as I believe you're doing right here in Dallas. So thanks for Todd, his leadership, and Gary, and Patrick, and all of them over there, and we pray for him. In Christ's name, amen. All right, well, I know this feels, since we're in the children's ministry, I felt like I had to do this. We're in the children's building, rather. Um, so I went out this morning, and, um, and I was stepping all over these in my driveway. Can you see what this is? It's so small, you can't even see it, can you? Anybody up here on the front row, you see what that is? Freddie, are you that blind? Man, you're on the front row. Come on. There you go, David. There you go. He's got his glasses on. There you go. Now you see. Though it's not a marble, it's so small, it seems so insignificant, right? It is an acorn, right? And I do this for a reason is because back there, you can't even see what I'm holding, right? And this is something, like I said, I'm stepping all over in my driveway. An acorn just seems insignificant. It's overlooked. We don't pay any attention to it. And when you look at it, you go, well, that's an acorn. Or you look at it and you go, you know what? That's a tree. That's a tree. And my argument to you is, is that the Old Testament is largely overlooked. It's like acorns. What we tend to do in Bible study is we go straight to the Gospels. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, rest in Philippians, right? Talks about joy, and we like joy. Talks about peace, and we like peace. But we don't read Obadiah. We don't read Nahum. We don't even know Habakkuk's a book in the Bible, right? The Old Testament is something that, that is overlooked largely, and we have this misnomer, this false perception that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. And there could be nothing that's further from the truth. And, um, and Genesis is a book that's largely overlooked. And, uh, and that's a tragic mistake. It's a tragic mistake to overlook the Old Testament, and particularly the book of Genesis. I will argue and I will try to show you during our time together that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Let me say that again. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. 
The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The Bible is all one book. It's made of 66 books written by over 40 different authors over 1,500 years, but it has a divine author who's in the middle of all that, who's orchestrating what it is that we're reading. Okay? And so why are we studying Genesis? Well, I want to read a quote to you that I think is really good. It says this, The major themes of Scripture may be compared to great rivers, ever deepening and broadening as they flow. And it is true to say that all these rivers have their rise in the watershed of Genesis. Or to use an equally appropriate figure, as the massive trunk and wide-spreading branches of the oak are in the acorn, so by implication and anticipation, all scripture is in Genesis. Here we have in germ all that is later developed. It has been truly said that the roots of all subsequent revelation are planted deep in Genesis. And whoever would truly comprehend that revelation must begin here. If you want to know your Bible game, you've got to understand Genesis. It's the foundation upon which all the major truths and themes of Scripture are built. I had a seminary professor who told us in class one time, you know, it's like the Old Testament is like a rose. And when you read Genesis 1-1, it is tightly bound like that. But over time, it begins to open through the progress of Revelation. But everything's right there in that tight rose. And you're going to find that to be true right here. It's an acorn upon which the massive trunk of Revelation and branches will come. And so we study Genesis because it's the foundation it's paramount that we understand the themes and the ideas of Genesis so that we can understand all of our Bible. Again, it's all one book. In Genesis, you have humanity's first rebellion. In Revelation, humanity's final rebellion. You have the entrance of sin in Genesis, the elimination of sin in Revelation 20 through 22. You have the imposition of the curse in Genesis 1 through 3, the lifting of the curse. The beginning of death, the end of death. Creation of heaven and earth, creation of the new heavens and the new earth. It's all one book. And if we want to understand Revelation, if we want to understand Matthew, if we want to understand First and Second Samuel, we've got to understand what was promised and what the themes are in the book of Genesis. Genesis was written by a man named Moses. Right? Moses was the one, to remind you, who led the people out of bondage in Egypt. They were there for several hundred years. Okay? Jo- uh, Joseph was the one who... Uh, had that technicolor dream coat, right? And uh, was despised by his brothers and betrayed. And God, through his providential hand, this is the end of Genesis, providential hand um, allows Joseph to find favor with Pharaoh. But then we read in Exodus chapter 1 that after Moses had died, there arose a new Pharaoh who no longer knew Joseph. And now God's people are oppressed. But God remembers his promise to Abraham, which is the Abrahamic covenant, which I'll talk about in a little bit, and we're going to explore much more in depth in the weeks to come. But he remembers his promise to Abraham. He hears the cries of his people, Exodus chapter 6, and he raises up a deliverer named Moses to lead his people out of bondage. 
And it's Moses, this leader of God's people, who's going to write this book to the nation of Israel to tell them who they are, where they come from, who the God is that is rescuing them. So Moses is the writer of the book of Genesis, and he is writing to reveal the origin and purpose of the universe, life, and humanity, but more specifically, to reveal to this Exodus generation God's plan for Israel. Okay? It's very important that you remember the context in which Genesis was written. This is written to a people who have fled slavery. It's written to a people who don't have a lot of material wealth. Yes, they plundered the Egyptians when they left, but they are wandering in a wilderness. They're following a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. They're relying upon God every day for manna. Okay, And God is teaching them, you are a people that I'm going to set apart. You're a people that I'm going to describe as a holy nation that started with Abraham. And I want to teach you who you are, where you're from, where you're going, why I am trustworthy, why you should follow me. And so we need to read it in that context. The mistake people make when they read Genesis is they read it from the perspective of 2013. And what we do is we impose our questions on the book of Genesis, demanding Moses to answer questions that Moses was not trying to answer. Does it make sense? So what we want to do is, whenever we read scripture, we first want to ask, what was the intent of the author? That's our first question. What did the text mean to the original readers? Then what we want to do is, is we want to ask ourselves, what is, that, what, are those, what is the universal truth that this text is teaching us? What is that principle? What does this text always mean? What was true then and what is true today? And then we want to ask ourselves, hey, how do we apply it? What are the implications of these truths to our lives today? Genesis is a fascinating book, but it is a theological history, and it's going to leave us asking some great questions. Okay, I'm not at all implying that it is any less true. I believe it is absolutely true in, in all of its parts. But I just want to say to you that there are going to be a lot of great questions that we're going to ask and answer. But not often are we going to have the specificity that we're going to want when we read Genesis. Some of the themes of Genesis is the nature of God and man. We learn about the nature of God, who he is, his faithfulness, his sovereignty, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his providential hand. We learn about the nature of man and the problem of man. Creation and blessing is a theme throughout sin and judgment and faith and redemption. In Genesis, as I said, it's an acorn. Sorry, guys. In Genesis, as I said, it's an acorn, right? And from it flow all the other major doctrines of, of Scripture. Most notably, we see in Genesis, we see the promise of the one who is to come in Jesus Christ. We see a veiled reference to the Trinity in God's creative work. We know from Colossians 1 that Jesus was the instrument of creation. Okay? We see um, that Adam is, uh, or that Jesus is the second Adam according to Romans chapter 4 and 5 when we we read Romans uh, last fall. 
We see that Noah is a type of Christ, that just as the people trusted in the ark when, ju- when judgment came and God flooded the world, so too will there be another judgment. And instead of trusting in an ark, we trust in a savior. We trust in Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, who died on the cross and three days later rose again. And so Noah's story is, is just a picture, it's a glimpse gang, of, of what God is ultimately going to do through Jesus Christ in providing salvation. Melchizedek is a, a man that we're going to come across reading through the book of Genesis. A king and a priest whose name literally means son of righteousness, or king of righteousness, rather. And the book of Hebrews picks up on this and goes, this is a type of Christ, and Abraham pays tribute to him. We're going to see that. Joseph's story reminds us of the story of Jesus, both betrayed by their, by their brothers, both uh, rescued right, um, by, by the Lord. We'll see in Genesis 3, chapter 15, we'll see a small glimpse, a picture, a, a clue, if you will, of what God is going to do to the serpent and how he's going to redeem man in Genesis 3.15. Some of the key chapters of the book are chapter 3, which is the fall, chapters 12 and 15, which describe the Abrahamic covenant. Okay, I'm going to keep hitting that a lot because it is going to be foundational to our understanding of Genesis. And chapter 50, which is um, the uh, story of Joseph and how it, uh, how it ends. Some of the key verses are 315 and 12, 1 through 3 and 15, 6 and 50, 12. Chapter 15, verse 6 says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Paul's going to pick up on this in the book of Romans. He's going to pick up it again in, uh, in Galatians. And it's the whole idea right here that Abraham is the father of our faith. People ask me all the time, how were people saved in the Old Testament? Same way they're saved today, by grace through faith. And Abraham, right here in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, he believed God, he trusted God, and God looked at him and said, and I reckon to you, that's the righteousness. And it's going to be the basis of our faith and salvation. Some of the key words that you're going to see are generations, covenant, blessing, and death, and there are many more. It's broken up, the outline of Genesis is broken up into two parts. And this is where I'm going to challenge you to to memorize this. Okay, we're going to look at Genesis both this spring and we're going to finish it in the fall. And my challenge to you is, as we study these books, to own the books. And what I mean by when I say own the books is to be able to, in your mind, walk through each of the books. And so the key word for Genesis is beginnings. For every book of the Bible, I challenge you, put a hook on there, something memorable that you can go, okay, Genesis, beginnings, Exodus, escape, Leviticus, worship, Numbers, wandering, Deuteronomy, review. Put a little word on there that you can go, I know what that book's about. Romans, the righteousness of God. Genesis, it's beginnings, and it's broken up into two parts. You have four events and four people. The four events are creation, Fall, flood, the Tower of Babel, and four people. These are known as the patriarchs. They are the fathers of the Hebrew race, the Jews or the Israelites. We're all referring to the same people when we say that. But the patriarchs are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. That is the book of Genesis. That's a preview of where we're going. Four events, four people. Everybody with me still? 
All right. Some unique features about the book of Genesis. I want to encourage you to take a look at, and you'll see many more, but I just want to mention a few to you. What makes Genesis unique from the other books of the Bible? The first one is, and as I've already alluded to, it forms the foundation of a biblical worldview. Now, if you've tuned out, I invite you, come back in, because this is worth the price of admission right here. If you want to evaluate any worldview against what Scripture's worldview is, Think of it, categorize it in these four buckets. Creation, fall, redemption, and resolution. Every worldview, every belief system, every major world religion, every philosophy answers these four questions. Creation. Who are we? Where did we come from? Why are we here? Fall. What's the problem? What's the meaning of evil and suffering? Redemption, what's the solution? And restoration, where are we going? How's it going to end? Is there hope? You see, the Bible teaches is that we are made in the image of God. We are created by a perfect, sovereign, holy God. But the problem is, gang, is that we have rebelled against that God. The problem is called sin. And that sin has led to death, not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. And we're separated from that good, perfect, righteous, and holy God. But the redemption, the hope, the solution is found in Jesus Christ. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's where our hope is found. That's where forgiveness is found. That's where recreation is found. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. Amen? And so, hope, joy, peace, meaning is found in a relationship through Jesus Christ. And restoration is our world just spinning out of control with no purpose, you know, left to chance? No. The Bible says that Christ will return and he's providentially at work even today. And he is sovereign over all of, all of history. Now you think about how radical that view is, if you hold to a biblical worldview, how radical that view is as opposed to um, someone who is a strict evolutionist. How are we here? We're here because of time plus chance plus matter. What's the problem? We have not evolved enough. What's the, the solution? More time, better education, better health care. We'll evolve. More agreement to a social contract. What's the resolution? Well, it's up in the air. There's probabilities. But there's not a God who's sovereign over that. And if you don't understand your biblical worldview, and you can't evaluate someone else's, it's going to be really difficult to clearly communicate the gospel to someone who's looking through a lens that's radically different from your own. Genesis forms the basis of a biblical worldview. In chapters 1 through 11, it moves from a universal focus to chapters 12 through 50, a national focus. It introduces two of the God-given institutions, family or marriage and government. The third will be church. God has given us three um, agencies, if you will, of protection, family, marriage, government, and church. It records the Abrahamic Sorry, records the Abrahamic covenant, 
okay, which is the first of three unconditional covenants, the Davidic and new, which will also come in the Old Testament. And you will see repeated throughout this idea of these are the generations of. So those are just some of the unique features to the book of Genesis. But I want to challenge you to find some of your own. When you walked in today, you received a little a chart, piece of paper, right, that has 1 through 23, because those are the chapters that we're going to look at. I've given you some of the answers, right, who the author is, the purpose, the themes. But I want to challenge you to come up with your own. Let you find some of the unique features. What sets Genesis apart? What makes it unique compared to other books of the Bible? And then for every chapter that we read, I want to challenge you, make it your own. Come up with a title. What do you think the key verse or verses are? And then what is that chapter talking about? And then you'll see a question mark. And what the question mark is is, is simply this. You're going to read through this book And a lot of questions are going to come to mind. And so I just want you to note the verse of all the places that cause you pause or that raise questions for you. Just note the verse. And then for, let's say you had 10 of them for next week. I want you to choose one, do a little homework, and try to answer it. Because chances are, when you come together again next week with your group, Many of the guys in your group are going to have the same questions, okay? And so we're going to come having done a little homework, and when guys go, hey, I've got a question. Why why does there appear to be two creation accounts? Great question. It will be a question all of you ask. Why is there one in Genesis 1, and why is there another one in Genesis 2? What's the significance of that? Great question. Mark that. Hopefully somebody will have spent some time and can answer that. Because there's no way during our time together that I'll be able to answer all the questions that are raised. But I want to challenge you for each chapter, title it, write your key verse, contents, and then just mark where are the places you have questions. All right. So this is how some of the questions that I'm sure you'll come up with. How are we to understand Genesis in light of today's various philosophies? Should we interpret a day as a literal 24-hour period? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? And as I said, why does there appear to be two different creation accounts? All right? Let me tell you how simple this can be. You don't have to write something long. Okay? You don't have to come in with a commentary. But just have an educated discussion. Right, so Genesis 1.1, I, I love this little thing that I found. Genesis 1.1 just simply says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in that little verse that all of us have already heard and are familiar with, think about the implications of that. Think about the philosophy, the belief of atheism, that there is no God. What does scripture say? No, there is a God. We're not here because of time plus chance plus matter. But we're here because of a sovereign, eternal, omnipresent God who's created us. And creation was the work of God. Think about polytheism, the belief that there's multiple gods. The Bible teaches that there's one God. In the beginning, God, not gods, God created the heaven and the earth. Think about the belief of pantheism, which is an Eastern thought and a thinking that God is in all of nature. Okay? But scripture describes God as being independent of nature and independent of his creation. Evolution. The world was created and did not evolve. I've already spoken of that. Materialism, that matter is, is essentially what is eternal. And scripture says, no, that's not true. It's creative. 
Think about the question uh, to creation accounts. Did you know in Genesis 1, did you know that it speaks of six days of creation? Genesis 2 speaks of the sixth day of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, did you know that each time, it's, you can't see this in your English Bible, but you can in a Hebrew Bible, every time the name the Lord is mentioned, the Hebrew uses the word Elohim, which speaks of the power, sovereignty, okay, and majesty of God. It is used to speak of God's transcendence over all of creation. Genesis chapter 2, on the other hand, it always uses the name Yahweh. Why? Yahweh is God's personal name. It's the covenant-keeping name of God. Chapter 1 speaks of his transcendence. Chapter 2 speaks of how he's intimately acquainted with his creation. He's like a potter who's creating. He's personal. Chapter 1 speaks of the creation of the universe. Chapter 2 focuses on the creation of man and how God desires to have a relationship with us. It climaxes with man in chapter 1. It climaxes with family and marriage in chapter 2. There's just some little things that you can see, and this is the kind of thing that I'm challenging you. As you have questions, spend a little time trying to answer those questions so that when you come together with your group, we could all have a benefit from a better discussion. All right. If you would, grab your uh, little notebook that we gave you. And if you'll turn to A13 real quickly... you'll see that there's some orientation questions to Genesis. And I know that everybody just got this book today, and so this is not assuming that anybody's read anything, but here are some of the questions that you can answer in your group today on A13 and A14. So when we're about to dismiss, I'd encourage you to go here. There's no rush. You don't have to answer all the questions. But I want you to take some time, get to know the guys in your group, and then just be honest. Hey, I've never read Genesis. Or, hey, I'm skeptical of Genesis. Or, hey, uh, I, I believe Genesis. Or whatever it is. Here are the questions I have about Genesis. This is why I'm here. Answer as many of these questions that you feel are, are profitable. And then turn to um, A15, or A16. And what's different about this curriculum than what we've done in the past is there's a little bit of work to do each day. Okay, so raising the bar a little bit, all right? So I'm going to challenge you. Don't be the guy who's, you know, waiting till Wednesday night. It will become a beating, and then you won't show up. Take a little each day. Take a little each day, all right? Sometimes in my group, what I do is I say, hey, uh, you know, you've got Monday, you've got Tuesday, you've got Wednesday, you've got Thursday. Why don't you just send an email to us and tell us, if you have Monday, on Monday, why don't you send an email to us and tell us, hey, this is how I was encouraged today. Why don't you have Tuesday? Hey, this is how I was encouraged today. And that way we all stay in contact with each other. We challenge each other. We sharpen each other. We encourage one another. But I want to say it again. Take a little bit each day, and we're going to walk slowly through this book together. Notice also, if you turn to the back of the book, um, you'll see that there is a commentary, okay? Turn to page CA110, okay? And then turn one page over. It's not marked. It doesn't have a number. If you go to A110 and you go one over, you'll see that there's a long introduction to Genesis. It's going to give you background. It's going to give you geography. And then following that is 
the text. Okay? So your, the book of Genesis is in this book. And then below that are study notes that you're going to find really helpful. This is the New Living Translation. It's not the living paraphrase. This is a translation. Okay? And I think you'll find it really helpful. And I would encourage you, take advantage of those resources in those notes. Inevitably, though, you'll come up with more questions. Here's some resources I would encourage you to look at. I'd use just bookmark, gotquestions.org. It's a great little resource. It's free. Bible.org. Sonic Light. Okay. Um, is, was written by a professor of mine at seminary who just does a great job. It's a free resource. You can download his commentary on the book of Genesis. It's very thorough. Probe.org is another great resource. And then on the left are some commentaries, which you'd have to buy, but they're helpful, and you may want to go deeper. Okay? All right. Just some final things, and we're going a little longer today simply because it's our introduction. But please, when you park... All right, do not park. Um, I told a, uh, this is pretty funny, in the women's ministry, I was trying to tell someone, well, you want to enter in on the, wet, uh, the east side of the building. She's like, I don't know east. <laughs> and so, so I kind of laughed. So I'm not going to take it for granted, all right? This is north, people. That's west. That's east. That's south, right? So I want to encourage you. There's two double lines in our east lot over here, please stay to the west of that. So just south of our tower, you can park south of this and in our west lot, okay? Or you can park in the garage over there. But we want to be good neighbors to those that are in the corner bakery building and the PC3 building over here or two or whatever they are over there. Um, We want to be good neighbors. So please um, help us respect them. When you came in, if you had registered, you got a name tag. It has your name, and then there's a room number on there. Obviously, we're in the new children's building, so there's additional rooms that are afforded to us. We're not all going to have to go wait for an elevator forever, right, to get up the, the tower. But there are a lot of rooms that you're going to break out in around this, around, on this floor and in this building. And you know your small group room based on that room number here. If today's your first day and you didn't register, and you just have a blank name tag, or you don't have a name tag at all, what we're going to encourage you to do is come into our open group, which we'll meet in here. You'll meet Corey Cheek right up here at this, the stairs where I'm standing. And then after uh, you've registered, we'll give you um, a small group that you'll meet in next week. Okay? Um, <clears throat> and uh, if you haven't picked up a notebook and registered, you can do that down where... Um, uh, in the uh, welcome center downstairs. All right. Um, for the guys that are meeting in these rooms around here, if for some reason there are not enough chairs, please just come in here and grab some, okay? Make yourself at home. All right, gang. As I said, uh, we're not going to typically go this long. Each Thursday morning, our time in here is going to be about 20 minutes or so. I'm going to take an aspect of something that we've read, try to expand upon it, challenge you, encourage you with it, and then you'll spend the majority of your time um, in your small group. But I um, am praying for you. I'm encouraged to see this number of men in here. Please invite your friends, right? And uh, let's be an encouragement to them as well. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to allow you to break out in your small groups. Well, Lord in heaven, it's, um, 
it's fun to see a room of men, Lord, that, uh, who, like I said, have purpose to rise early to come to know your word. I thank you for the leaders in here, Lord, who've already spent time praying for each one in here. I thank you for the leaders who have been uh, studying and reading and, and asking and answering difficult questions, anticipating what's, uh, what's on the horizon. And, um, and Lord, thank you for the book of Genesis and uh, all of the many truths that it will challenge and encourage us uh, in the weeks ahead. Would you help us to make the most of this time together in our small groups to get to know one another and, um, and Lord, uh, to be encouraged and learn a little bit more about you, I pray. It's in Christ's name, amen. All right, gentlemen, y'all have a good morning.